1235 was an act that Warwick Saban introduced in the House, okay. and it allows for convertible debt to be considered um, in the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. They have some programs that allow um, tax credits to be applied for uh, investments. So uh, an entrepreneur like myself would go apply for the tax credits. In the past, it only applied for pure equity, though. So somebody bought 10% of my company for 100 grand, they get a 33.3% tax credit for that investment. It did not apply uh, before yesterday to convertible debt. So uh, then House, it's now Act 164 as of 1225 or uh, February 25th. So it's now convertible debt gets the same tax credit. And, it, and it, it's pretty, it's uh, more broad though. It's any convertible instrument, which is oh, wow. cool because now uh, it gives you a lot more flexibility in, in how you raise capital. And and that's good because a lot of startup founders don't want to nail down a valuation and mm -hmm. it's just a, a touchy subject. And so now they can put that discussion off and they can still be able to get the equity incentive tax credits, so. And it was five years before is that it applies, so if they invested today, five years from now, there's an exit event, those tax credits get applied at that point, correct? I think the way it works, it's the, the value is the secondary market. So you get your tax credits and then you work with a, a broker, so to speak, and they go sell the, the tax credits essentially. There's a secondary market for them, so okay. an investor will invest and then they'll be able to take those tax credits and essentially cash them in, if you will, on the secondary market. So. Wow, so it's a cash? So if you had a million dollar investment, 333,000 of that, and then about 80% of that would essentially be back to you. So you know, you're know you're investing a million dollars, but you're getting a significant amount of that money back. It's Understood. a pretty good deal. Wow. Do you know who backed it? Who, I mean, obviously Saban so produced it. So it was Warwick, it, Warwick Saban, um, James Hendren, Jeff Hamrine, myself, oh. there was a bunch of us. Uh, Jamie Fugit played a pretty important role in it also. Um, there was a, a bunch of folks behind the scenes, but Warwick really took it to the finish line. I'm so. always interested in that. Mm, who, why it, the bill got started in the first place? Because like right now I'm Jeanette working on- and Jeff and I were having lunch one day and we're like, this is crazy, why isn't this allowed? Like, it makes sense, it should be allowed. You know, convertible instruments, convertible notes, they're popular, there's no reason why they shouldn't, you know, be, there's no reason why they shouldn't qualify for these tax credits because we don't want investors to just not invest in a company because there's not tax credits associated with them. But after that lunch, we emailed Warwick and some other folks and kind of just kicked it down the road for a while. It was about a year ago and finally, just taking to the finish line yesterday. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. See it come together. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, that's wonderful. And you were, you were talking about the um, licensing and privacy. Right. right, publicity. Publicity. So they're so close. I mean, privacy, most people use that. I mean, it's just, they seem like the same thing, but, you know, legislation to protect publicity rights, to keep other people, businesses from taking an image either off of Facebook and saying, oh, okay, here, I'm gonna say Amarine Pizza and try and make you the face of a pizza company. I mean, it's one thing when started, it's approved. What, how did this one start? The Broyles family came to me that when Frank Broyles retired from the Rice Foundation, all these companies started approaching him, wanting him to be the face of a product, have his signature on things. And while it's, 
flattering. It's concerning because how do you stop other people? How do you mm-hmm. keep from having something his name doesn't, he doesn't want his name to be on or the right. family? And or Arkansas didn't have anything to protect that. I mean, wow. And how do you inherit that? Yeah. And so hopefully we're still in committee, but we're hoping that it leaves committee this next week and move straight on through the house. That's good. It's amazing that Arkansas doesn't have that this kind of protection. Most, half the states don't. Most okay. of the southern states don't. But Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, those have normal, reasonable, business-friendly statutes that are we liked, and so we try to model ours after that. Is it mostly tied to business use of a of celebrity? It's usually a celebrity okay. that's involved. I know from talking to like the motion picture industry, that, um, Paul Newman okay. was the driving force behind Connecticut's. Uh, Marilyn Monroe it was an issue for both New York and in California for various different statutes. So just it's mm. usually something comes up, a problem, just like with the Broyles family. Sure. So. so this is a proactive attempt to get the laws into place should somebody as opposed to a lawsuit for damages. Yes, okay. because it could always have been litigated. Sure. But let's who, avoid it. Yeah, let's avoid this is a proactive way to avoid that. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And in a lot of ways, too, it protects other, like the media. I, I mean, I've been in practice almost 10 years now. I get at least a phone call a quarter from some woman or man who went to Walmart in their PJs and ended up on the front page of the paper. <laughs> and they oh, want wow. the paper to take it out. Somehow or another, it's a... a Peeding on their publicity rights. I don't know how they managed to always get the right term. <laughs> no, First Amendment gets to trump a lot of things. Yeah. So. Yeah, you went to Walmart in your PJs. It was a risk. Yeah. It was a risk. <laughs> don't go to Walmart in your PJs. Um, I've been, I thought it, we were talking earlier about Brett was um, intriguing and, it's, and it seems to be applicable right now. Is it unique to Arkansas that for seed round financing or, or fundraising, to for businesses to need to have a, an MVP and some customers in place to get it, and is that different than say Austin or Boulder or some of the other more regional um, startup communities where you, you can come in with an idea and and get and get a, a, an equivalent round of funds? Um, I don't know how the other these other uh, inf- like uh, ecosystems are working, mm-hmm. and or even if they're like much smaller amounts just based on an idea. Um, but uh, we've seen, you and I have seen just recently companies who are trying to get it, some fundraising going but aren't ready for the Arkansas investment community at least it seems. I'll give you a, a long-winded kind of response <laughs> about that. So um, we need more capital, mm-hmm. right? But we do have great sources of capital right now and it is an investor's market. There are a ton of great startups that we're seeing, really good, really good. and and. So they're going to choose to put their hard-earned money into the startup that has the highest probability of a return. They're not going to do any uh, philanthropy. They're not going to do any lifeline investments. They're not going to do any sympathy investments for the most part. Um, And by having an MVP and by having some customer traction or user traction, 
you're you're kind of proving that you're you're on a trajectory to create value where you might get acquired um, or have some kind of liquidity event, and so. Um, it's really hard for startups. It's really hard. You've got to be better and better, and there's a limited amount of capital. And I wouldn't say that's unique to Arkansas at all okay. because a lot of the founders that we interact with, they've went to multiple states and raised capital in multiple places, multiple states. And we even, through the Tonic Fund, invested in companies out of Atlanta, companies out of Kansas City, and it wasn't because they couldn't raise money in those places. It was because they wanted to have the tie to this region where mm-hmm. the Fortune One is all of their vendors have major offices sure um and so there's kind of a a a role of thumb that i've seen since i've been in this space the last year and a half either a you've got some kind of competitive moat secret sauce or unfair advantage or b you've got a a really great management team you're likable and and if you don't have a you better have b Uh and if you don't have b you better have a it's Uh one or the other or both but um so yeah there's been some frustrations with founders and um uh, unfortunately a lot of times it's because they don't have a or they don't have b you know they don't have an unfair advantage secret sauce segmented mode or it doesn't look like they will have one um or you know unfortunately they may not have the best management team or they do have a great management team, but there's a better opportunity. And so sure. an investor is going to look at their opportunity costs and, and invest in what the highest probability of return is going to be. Sure. So, and it's, it's completely a matter of timing, too, uh, with some of that, it seems. Hey, I'll put one more comment out there about like Silicon Valley and Austin. So there's a lot of capital in those places, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of startups raising mm-hmm. money. Yeah. So you can go there and you see there's a lot of capital there's a ton of vcs but there's also a ton of startups and there's some really good ones too yeah so yeah and i think too um as we're hopefully closing our round of funding um one of the things we did very well this time was we had our patent play our patent position already Mm -hmm. established we had uh mvp working functional and our first round of of quality customers not just you know mom and pop uncles buying it we, we've got legitimate customers you've got a credible management team yeah got a good team. think about how long you've been doing this so far mm-hmm. to get to this point and all the things you've had to learn yeah i mean it, i don't think it would have mattered where you were it would have it, it would have had the same result okay i think you're getting close man yeah we're real close so i hate it when I, companies come to that investment stage and they haven't locked down the ip i mean it's just one of those things that my heart just sinks a little bit. And there's still way, avenues of protection to some extent, even if patent time periods run. But it's just, I wish more startups risk, right? would mm-hmm. have that education and have that foundation. And most, I think, my experience, if they do miss those thresholds, then it's because they were so afraid of the initial cost that they didn't even bother talking to attorneys. Mm-hmm. And I know like right now, Arkansas and the patent office, they're trying to work on helping startups more and have more of an avenue towards not so much free patent services, but drastically reduced patent services. Some for kind that. of subsidized program yeah. or, that makes sense. I mean, I don't know if this is the right expression, but chicken and egg, or you need it, but you don't have the money for it. But, you know, when you do have the money, it's too late kind of thing. And a lot of times, yeah. And it's, it's heartbreaking for me. I would rather 
get some type of protection or at least know that they're giving it up and try and remediate it early on. I think what helped our patent position work so well this time around was we were intimately involved in the um, creation of the provisional patent language. So it, by us writing most of that ourselves mm-hmm. in-house, we then hand that over and it was just a and a session with the patent attorneys. And I brought our costs way down. I think we filed our provisionals for, for three patents um, for about 5,000. That's great. Yeah. You have a little bit of an unfair advantage though, since yeah. you got some law, yeah. you went to law school, right? Yeah, law school for, for my first year. But it's not always the same, I mean, patent, You've seen patents. Mm-hmm. I mean, very different. They don't read like normal legal language. So. Highly technical. And the best thing, though, about taking it to a patent attorney is they know often what language they can use to make sure that it meets those standards mm-hmm. of unique and uh, useful. And you can speak to that a lot better, I'm sure. But but then having it in your speak versus just I mean, not all attorneys are so well versed in the language and then we tend to use different speak it's more palpable to other people mm-hmm. I mean, it, you want the normal public to be able to read the patent yeah so. yeah and then another thing i learned a lot this last time around was using google patent searches i um, may be giving away cards no, i shouldn't be no okay. everyone should look at google's okay. patents okay. Right, the google consolidates if, if anyone, you don't know this they consolidate almost all of the u.s patent applications and patents that have been issued along with some of the foreign patents, Chinese patents, and they're translated. Wow. And they don't always have like Canada or Germany, but they're available and they're much more easy to search than the U.S. patents. Is it a good first screening before they dig in? It's a good first screening. A lot of people, I, I don't like it when people come in and say, oh, I haven't found anything at all because that means they probably haven't looked in the right spot. Mm-hmm. But on the other side too, I don't want to go and find it immediately and that be an issue. It's a great place to start. Yeah. So I'm glad you used it. Yes, it was very helpful, partly for helping me uh, deliver uh, to the attorneys some kind of baseline. I understood, I'd read enough of them now, like okay, it needs to read something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also helped me kind of figure out what, what gaps I could approach as saying, I fill in this this mm-hmm. missing area here that we can claim. Because we originally had six or seven uh, concepts that we were trying to patent uh, processes and uh, we narrowed it down to three that we knew we were really solid on and focused. So, um, But then it might be worth talking about the difference between the provisional and the utility. So a provisional only lasts for a year. It's not yeah. really a patent. It's patent application. It's your foot in the door. And that way you can go out and market and see, oh, okay, is this a viable product? Is this a viable method? And if it is, then you can go forward. And usually it's a good bit of the patent already done. Just usually doesn't have the full set of claims. Yep. And then Is it yeah. more expensive to do the full? Utility. The filing fees are more expensive, and yeah, there is usually more invested in time from, with the attorney too. So yeah, it is a little bit more. So the provisional is a way to kind of make sure you're on the right track, and well, it's and then, it's the a foundation for good protection. 
Got it. And it's since it's so much cheaper, um, you know, in our case, we may have gone out and found that there was not really a market for this. Mm -hmm. Now we didn't have all that extra cost in, mm -hmm. in the utility piece. And the utility side, again, the, we went ahead and started working through our claims early. Yeah, and I, I always I, do. Because I didn't know better. I just went ahead no, and built No, you should. Them. Yeah. You should. Yeah. Because how do you know what to put in the patent if you don't know what you're going to claim at the end? Yeah. So these are these are things that I, I, as I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs in the region, they're just not very aware of that need. And once they're down there, down the road, looking for funding, uh, hit, if you're even on the market selling, it may be too late. Oh, and if they're selling, they should be considering trademark too. Mm -hmm. so with most of them, they have some social media presence. How do you stop if there's a page out there that's got your trademark? The social media platforms will take it down if you have a registered trademark. So I've seen two very important attorneys in this entrepreneurial space, the intellectual property attorney and the transaction attorney. And if you're serious about creating a valuable company, those are definitely two, two attorneys you should talk to at some point. You yeah. Know early on. And the trademark search is useful too for fleshing out your own brand. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big piece. We, we, we started with a completely different brand other than Real Agent Guard. And I can't even say the name because it's protected. So, because we didn't know. And then we found out through the trademark process um, searches that, oh, we, we can't use that name Somebody at all. had already protected that? Somebody had. Wow. In, 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 I think, four cases. We started with one name, which is a protected brand already that we included in our brand name. Big mistake. Cease and desist very quickly. Oh. <laughs> Lesson learned. Um, and then we started going through the other couple of brand names, and the, and the trademark search killed each one until we settled on Real Asia Guard. Um, and even that was was hotly contested within the within our, our legal team. Um, and ultimately, as a business owner, I had to accept the risk that hey we could get some cease and desist you there's always a risk yeah it's just how high is that risk and what's that return that you could be seeing yeah and our argument is real agent is such a common name that there's almost no way that somebody could say no that's our our term and um, and then of course the guard piece is also a generic term but there's there's real guards there's all these other brands out there that could possibly uh, we could be infringing upon, and so that trademark process will quickly help you sift through the... I'm curious to hear more about Real Agent Guard. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. You know, okay. I, I saw the 2020 episode yeah. recently that I sent over to you about how dangerous it is to be a realtor in some places, and yeah. so tell me about what you're doing. Yeah, well, we were in Little Rock um, in October when an agent was killed, um, and... We had already been working on uh, some loan worker technologies. Mm -hmm. And if she had been using our solution, this wouldn't have even happened. And that's what was heartbreaking about it and mm -hmm. so impactful for us to, real, to, think, to realize that we, we, need to, we need to fix this problem. And we hadn't considered the real estate industry at that point in time. And so um, when we pivoted from Politipol at that point, we had already rapid uh, prototyped the concept, shown it to some agents, and found immediate demand for it. Uh, we knew from our price uh, price model that we could put it out there; the competition couldn't touch it. And so that was the pivot. We went uh, headlong into it. Immediately sold our first license, and the customer sat us down and had amazing 
ideas for some new feedback. Uh, some feedback for some new ideas and some new product features. And um, so we spent about a month and a half from December to mid-January of this year pushing and driving some of these new features into it. And now we have a feature set that is, is uh, best of breed across any solution that's out there. But our big differentiator, not, not just in price, is that we're enterprise-facing. So uh, an organization buys Real Agent Guard and gives it to their agents for free. And then now these agents don't have to go out and pay for a solution. Mm -hmm. So our model is more it's subscription-based, uh, B2B, as opposed to our competitors are out there doing B2C directly. And, and you'll have one or two agents using in one organization using one app. The vast majority just shooting texts to people. Mm -hmm. And our solution is when they show up to show a property, uh, they log into our app and a countdown timer starts. And if they don't respond uh, when that, before that countdown timer hits zero, um, alerts go out to their team. And uh, here in the next few weeks, we'll have it to where they can, uh, friends and family can also be monitoring outside That's the organization. Awesome. So ultimately, this is one vertical. We'll, we're taking it to energy and a couple of other verticals. Um, but the long term is just family can have, um, could have the app and their kiddos could be going to movie theater with their friends. You got a college student three states away, they can log it's in. It's peace of mind, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like you're solving a real pain point. Yeah, for that's a lot exactly of what I was thinking. Peace of mind. Yep. And so, they're, for that global loan worker kind of thing, um, we're fairly competitive on price. Uh, we're at the low end of the price range, top end of the feature set. Um, but we're hoping for that B2B. Uh, ex, you know that B2B sale to really help us spread out a lot faster than just trying to onesie twosie B2C. So this is something that anybody with a smartphone can use yeah. too. Mm -hmm. iOS and Android and Windows Phone are already out, and that represents 99.6 percent of the market share. So oh. I'm thinking, awesome. you know, if you have a spouse or somebody that's in in the real estate business, this is something you'd probably encourage them to use. In fact, within agencies that we're selling at right now, they're even using the friends and family version with each other, have a buddy system. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, so it's uh, for us, we're getting a lot more exposure and, and um, organic growth into the B2C market just automatically, so. Yeah, a lot of really interesting stuff is going on in the entrepreneurial space in Arkansas, in Northwest Arkansas, Central Arkansas. It's exciting. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, cool. Yeah. Thank you.